0: Such a privilege to be here and worship with you this morning. Oh, I just want to say a quick prayer. Lord, I just ask that you continue to, to be with us and make your presence known as we work through the word today. And if there are any confusing or disrupting spirits, Lord, that they would be silenced right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we have six verses in our main text today, which doesn't seem like a lot, but there's a lot to chew on, so I hope you're ready. <laughs> We've been talking a lot about our new season of transition into one body, which resembles kind of the first year of marriage, right, where we lay down our lives, our traditions and expectations that we had on our own and create a new culture and life together, right? In our leadership meeting this past week, we were seeking the Lord's leading on what the body needed in this season as we finish out 2021, and we were brought right back to Ephesians 4, the chapter on unity and maturity in the body of Christ specifically verses 11 through 16, which reads, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Like I said, there's a lot to chew on here. And I'm sure I won't be able to cover every possible aspect this morning, but I'm hoping what we do cover will be blessed. <laughs> so the word in verse 12 um, for equip is the word katartismos. I'm not Greek, so I'm probably mispronouncing it. But it means to mend, repair, make whole or perfect, of setting bones, mending nets. It means to make something or someone, in this case the sheep and the flock, completely adequate or sufficient for something. The basic idea is that of putting a thing into the condition in which it ought to be. In politics, it's used for bringing together opposing factions so that government can go on. How many of you think we could use some equipping in our society? Okay. Okay. The English word equip means to furnish for service or action by appropriate provisioning. Equip describes the supplying with the items needed for a particular purpose. With this definition in mind, our job of equipping will include corporate teaching, practicing what has been taught, prayer and worship, and at the individual and family levels, helping to mend and make new and help souls be brought together in the condition in which they ought to be, which is similar to what Bruce was feeling led to pray for this morning. We see the reason for being equipped, as we continue to read, it's for works of service, with the benefit of the body of Christ being built up, reaching unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Sound good to anybody else? Yeah? Okay. Each one here is a minister and has been given specific gifts to help in this process of growth. So how do we know when we've reached maturity? I did some digging to see how others would define this, And psychology today listed seven characteristics, including being able to keep long-term commitments, including being able to delay gratification. And part of that means being able to keep commitments even when they're no longer new or novel, you know, fun. (laughs) They can commit to doing what is right even when they don't feel like it. Two, a mature person is unshaken by flattery or criticism. As people mature, they sooner or later understand that nothing is as good as it seems and nothing is as bad as it seems. Mature people can receive compliments or criticism without letting it ruin them or sway them into distorted views of themselves. They're secure in their identity. Three, a mature person possesses a spirit of humility. Humility parallels maturity. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Mature people aren't consumed with drawing attention to themselves. They see how others have contributed to their success and can honor them. It's the opposite of arrogance. For a mature person's decisions are based on character, not on feelings. Mature people live by values. They have principles that guide their decisions. They're able to progress beyond merely reacting to life's options and be proactive as they live their life. Their character is master over their emotions. Now, not listed in psychology today, I believe. This includes being consistent with our spiritual growth habits like prayer and studying scripture. We we have values that we live by, right? Christian values. Five, a mature person expresses gratitude consistently. The more mature we are, the more grateful we are for both big and little things. Immature children presume they deserve everything good that happens to them. Mature people see the big picture and realize how good they have it compared to most of the world's population. Six, a mature person knows how to prioritize others before themselves. A wise man once said, a mature person is one whose agenda revolves around others and not self. Certainly this can go to an extreme and be unhealthy, but a pathway out of childishness is getting past your own desires and beginning to live to meet the needs of others. Seven, and last, a mature person seeks wisdom before acting. This means they have to be teachable. They don't presume they have all the answers. And the wiser they get, the more they realize they need more wisdom. They're not ashamed of seeking counsel. Only the wise seek wisdom. While I wholeheartedly agree with these principles, I can also think of several others, but I'm going to mention two. (laughs) Not being easily offended. We have to realize that many times people do things because they have their own issues that they're dealing with. Sometimes people do things by accident, and other times we have to realize that people are just imperfect human beings like us. Our relationships with one another are another indicator of our maturity. For more great teaching on this, see Dean's recent Facebook post on the Awaken site. (laughs) And one last indicator for this morning, although it's not a complete list, like I said, Often we don't realize or we forget the power of our words. There are many Proverbs on this topic. I'm not going to go through all of them, mention two. Proverbs 13:3 says, Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Proverbs 1821 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Moving into the New Testament, we see James one twenty six: Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Matthew twelve thirty six and 37 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That doesn't make you stop in your tracks and raise some holy fear of God. I don't know what will. I've noticed that we generally save the harshest words for those we're related to and are supposed to love the most. That is most likely because those are the people we're comfortable around and know will accept us and forgive us. Although it is starting to become commonplace to blast people on social media and roast others, It's even becoming common in schools toward teachers. The other area to be aware of is what we say to and about ourselves. I think it's time for a demonstration. We've heard what the Bible says about our words, but I want you to see the power that our words have. So I'm going to need a volunteer who doesn't know what the expected outcome of this demonstration is, which rules out my family and the leadership team, probably. At least Dean, I know. I think I said it to the whole leadership team. Um, This volunteer has to be okay with me pushing down on their arms. And I'll put my mask back on since we'll be within six feet. And the volunteer has to be willing to trust me and follow directions. You follow directions? Okay. All right. All right, I have to come down to your height. Um, So I want you to put your hands straight out, both arms straight out. I'm gonna put my hands on your arms and push down, you're not gonna let me push them down. Okay. Okay. So you could tell I was pushing, right? Okay. All right. Just so you know, because some people think, oh, she wasn't actually pushing. I was. I was pushing. Okay. Now, ten times I want you to say, I am weak and unable. I am weak and unable. I am weak and unable. I am weak and unable 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 It sounded like it even started to get hard to say the words okay so we're going to do the same thing. Okay. He's really strong, but could you tell, usually they just go flop, but of course this morning he's going to hold him up. Okay. But could you tell it was harder? It's a lot harder. And what was the only thing that changed? The only thing that changed was what you told me to say. What you said to yourself. What I said to myself, yeah. What you said to yourself. Yeah. Okay. I probably could have like hung from his arms and got him all the way down, but we're here on a Sunday morning, so okay. All right. I won't do it. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Wait, wait. We're not going to leave you there. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Now 10 times. I want you to say I am strong and able. 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 I am strong able. Okay, now one more time. Same thing. Okay. So that time I couldn't even budge. Okay, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Okay. Okay. Usually people's arms just go <laughs> right down. You can try it at home or with your friends <laughs> and watch what happens. But really the only thing that changed were the words that we said to ourselves. Our words do have a lot of power. Okay. It's going back to Ephesians 4. Paul goes on to say that the building up to spiritual maturity is important so that we will no longer be infants, some translations say children, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Has anyone else felt like they're being slammed back and forth in the waves of deceitfulness in our present-day culture? Any hands? Okay. Not just me. (laughs) the confusion and disorientation to what is truth about so many hot topics. I realized that the reason I was so confused while reading the news is because I was looking in the wrong place for the truth. We're not going to get it from the media. We want to equip our body to become mature and able to discern truth and experience freedom. Not that we don't have some mature believers here, okay? but can anyone in the room say that they have reached the whole measure of Christ? Anybody? Okay, just checking. Me either. (laughs) The Greek word for infant here is nepios, which again, I might not be pronouncing correctly, but hopefully I'm close. Uh, It means literally not speaking, and so a totally helpless infant. So for more than just not mature, but spiritual infants or young children, we're not able to think critically for ourselves. Young children can be easily deceived, which makes it easy for them to be led astray by false teaching. Thinking of a video I saw of a dad who told his young son, you know, I got your nose, right? You know that game? I got your nose. And the boy would just cry until his dad put it back, right? He totally believed that his dad had his nose. He didn't even bother to check and see if it was still attached, right? (laughs) They can be easily deceived. Spiritual infants can also lack understanding of the truth that they are taught, for instance, and I got permission to share the story. My youngest daughter was taught as a young child that she is priceless. Both her Sunday school teachers and her mom told her that that's how God and her parents thought of her. However, <laughs> she thought that the word priceless meant worthless or not even worthy of a price. You can see how that makes sense later on, right? But I had no idea at the time. She's like, God really thinks that? as she matured she understood the true meaning of the word priceless and was greatly relieved young children and infants also don't have much of an attention span anybody notice that (laughs) it takes maturity and discipline to keep our focus on tasks that help us develop our knowledge of god and to spend time building a relationship with him It takes maturity and discipline to not be distracted by all the things that fight for our attention. Verse 15 indicates that instead of being tossed around like infants, we should speak the truth in love so that we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. I'll simply say here that truth should always be accompanied by love. In verse 16, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, this verse could be a whole sermon in and of itself. I'm going to try not to do that to you this morning. Uh, I will say that this is an exciting shift from Christ being the goal that we're growing into to being the source. When you look at the Greek, it's from him that we are joined together. For example, physically, we are designed with this amazing creation of our brain, right? That's our control center. In very simplified terms, we see that even without conscious thought, back here in the back of our head, this part of it, some people call it the lizard brain, that controls our breathing, our heartbeat, our body temperature, without us having to think about any of that, right? The blinking of your eyes. We don't have to think about any of that. And the center of our brain is the limbic center. That's our emotion control center. Occupational therapists will tell you we have at least nine different senses that are all being controlled up here, right? And in the front, right here behind your forehead, the prefrontal cortex, right? That's responsible for things, many things, but among them are like all of your executive functioning, right? Being able to uh, plan your working memory, cognitive flexibility, all that kind of stuff is here up front. Spiritually, we are the body of Christ, and Christ is the head. He's the control center, right? We have an ongoing dependence on him that we will never be able to grow past. We will always need to be completely dependent on him. Similarly to what Jesus said in the book of John about Christ being the vine and we're the branches, apart from him, we can do nothing. As we hold on to and stay connected to him, we are able to participate in coordinated action that is harmonious with the other parts of the body. Are we able to do that without the brain? Nope, we're a mess. I want to read verse 15 and 16 again, but in the NASB version. It says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head that is Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. According to the commentaries, the being joined and held together phrases are present participles, meaning these actions are happening currently and ongoing. We're currently being built and compacted together stone on stone. Very intimate setting here. A quote from the Precept Austin commentary says that in construction terms, the word used here represents the whole of the elaborate process by which stones are fitted together. This process, including the preparation of the surfaces, the cutting, rubbing, and testing, the preparation of the dowels and the dowel holes, and finally the fitting of the dowels with molten lead. This doesn't sound like a very comfortable process, right? In short, it represents the careful joining of every component of a structure. Each part is precisely cut to fit snugly, strongly, and beautifully with every other part. Nothing is out of place, defective, misshapen, or inappropriate. Now take those ideas and apply them to the church composed of individual saints, which 1 Peter 2.5 says, we are the living stones of the body. We each must be willing to allow the master architect to fit us just as he desires. It requires an act of our wills to submit to the hand of the master. And Paul was writing this while the Jews and Gentiles were being fitted and formed together. People of various nations, previously separated and in conflict, now become united and form a harmonious society. They believe the same doctrines, worship the same God, and look forward to the same heaven. If that can happen for the Jews and Gentiles, I have no doubt that it can happen here and now with our living stones if we submit our wills to him. The word supplies in verse 16, here's the Greek word epichoresia, and I did not listen to that one online, so I'm probably totally getting that one wrong. That's from the root word, choregia, which literally means leader of a chorus. Well, this was really interesting to me. This is in reference to Greek tradition of wealthy, public-minded citizens who would voluntarily take on the collecting, maintaining, training, and equipping of large choruses needed for the plays that would be performed during great religious ceremonies or festivals. It means lavishly to pour out everything that is necessary for a noble performance. So the last quote from that same commentary reads, Here his people are urged to equip their lives with every virtue, and that equipment must not be simply a necessary minimum, but lavish and generous. The very word is an incitement to be content with nothing less than the loveliest and most splendid life. Isn't that cool? With that in mind, we will be putting our primary focus for our time together here at Awaken on Sunday mornings for the next few months, to both learning more about equipping ourselves lavishly with spiritual practices or disciplines that help us grow into the full measure of Christ and also practicing them together. Go forth in the splendid grace and love of Jesus and live the loveliest and most splendid life. Have a great week.